This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. Of course, the show is not complete without the co-host, the oil god, Colin McClellan. What's up, man? What's going on, man? Another day in paradise. Another day in paradise. We've been busy lately. We have been busy lately. We finally released a vlog for the first time in like two weeks. So <laughs> I don't know when this episode's going out, but if you haven't checked it out, go to YouTube, type in Digital Wildcatters. Let us know what you think. I think we're putting out some pretty good content. I think it's getting better. Yeah. I think we kind of, we got caught up in making some highlight reels, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the earlier vlogs. We're still kind of figuring this stuff out as we go. We've never never been professional vloggers. We had to add some meat. We had to add some meat in there. So (laughs) let us know what you guys think. Subscribe if you like it. Share with your friends. And also thanks for listening to the show. I think we're at like 11,000, 11,500 unique listeners Mm -hmm. so far. Growth rate has been amazing. And that's just a testament to you guys kind of just supporting the movement. So Huge shout out to you guys. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating, review. We've had some interesting reviews lately. Yeah. <laughs> let's, just, let's just leave it at that. We'll read some next. We'll read some <laughs> reviews next episode. Well, who we got today? All right. So we've got Chad Spencer with us, who is the uh, president and CEO of Hazeltine. What's up, man? Hey, how are you? Pretty good. Good. So uh, good old David Ramsenwood, the one that everybody knows, introduced us uh, <laughs> about a month, month and a half ago. We've both David. just been super busy. David introduces you, you know it's going to be good. David's probably one of our highest ranked podcasts, if not the highest ranked podcast. Everyone wants yeah. him back on. So, yeah. Seth, Seth is giving him some trouble. Seth is. We might have to get him to both on and just go into the storytelling battle. It's kind of funny. You know, we have such a heavy focus lately on technology, but our two most popular episodes have been EMP related. So, I think we need to get some more EMPs on. <laughs> so, I mean, technology is cool and all, but you can still see that the oil industry is still very fascinated by the story of EMP founders and. I mean, rightfully so, because it's such a hard game to get into. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to get more EMPs on the show. Yeah, for sure. So, Chad, what do you what do you guys do? Yeah, so Hazeltine, we're an energy-focused recruiting firm. So mm-hmm. we, everything, I mean, you talk about David and David's EMP company, One Energy Partners. We basically recruit for everything that they have. So whether it's reservoir engineers, land guys, operations guys, accounting finance, everything within a private equity-backed DMP company, we do. And so, you know, we have expanded into midstream. A lot of our private equity contacts, how I started the company was we had a number of private equity contacts at the firm level. And so they had needs. We thought if we could get in the door with those guys, then they'd introduce us to all their private equity portfolio companies. And so it actually worked out really well. <laughs> and so we got a warm introduction to some of the teams, did a great job with the teams, and then just expanded from there. And now we're in midstream. A lot of our private equity contacts have an appetite for midstream. And so we're in there and just launched about a month ago a services side of our business. So now on the services side, we're focusing on sales and engineering. Okay. So so how did you get linked up with David? Yeah, David actually cold called a guy. <laughs> <laughs> it so, still works. <laughs> so, yeah, no. And, you know, that that's how have we had to start a company? But anyway, David had just had a, a big successful exit with one. Just they just absolutely knocked out of the park. And I knew the guys that uh, the guys that backed them. And so I thought I'd just reach out directly to David. He took my call. We actually talked for about an hour, mostly about golf. And then he threw in that, you know, the guy made, you know, 
30 million bucks or whatever that was. And it was just really impressive, just insanely impressive guy. Yeah. And then Solomon Nape. And he talked about you guys. He, he was raving about you guys. And uh, he's like, man, you got to meet these guys. And so that's, you know, that's what brought us here. It's kind of funny how <laughs> small the industry is because you think about it. You know, you had David on the show and then we had Seth Blackwell from Ruckus Energy. But Seth, you know, the Ruckus team was previously Lilith Energy who bought one of the assets from David when they divested. <laughs> so it just comes full, full circle. So tell us a little bit about your background. So when did you guys start this company and then kind of your personal experience before that, you know, how did you get into oil and gas, where yep. you're from, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So started the company in November, 2015, you know, it was terrible oil and gas market for recruiting. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of people hiring. That's actually one of the reasons we got into private equity. Not that I had contacts, but these guys are always buying and selling. And so anyway, November, 2015 is when we started. Prior to that, I was working with a, a small or a larger search firm than we are. And we had three divisions there. And, you know, a lot of our contacts were in oil and gas at that time, just kind of fell into it. Prior to that, I was with a company called Insperity. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they do a lot with startups, things like that. And a lot of our clients were private equity backed EMP companies, it just works really well. You know, you need big company type benefits to attract the guys from the larger firms. And so they worked really well. And, you know, one of our banner clients there that we talked about is Oasis Petroleum. I mean, they started with five guys and just went up to 550. So anyway, we had that. I just, you know, got got lucky, really. I had a contact at Insperity and, you know, they took a shot on me and let me you know, get into sales. And I learned a ton there. Prior to that, I was actually a pro golfer. So <laughs> I played in college and then played on the mini tours for a little bit. And, you know, it was just a it was a rough life leveraging a credit card. You know, it's not, it's not what everybody thinks it is. It's not, you know, you see these PGA tour guys and, you know, they have all this stuff and all this. And, you know, ironically, uh, right now it's master's week. So it's ironic that I'm on the podcast this week, but you know, it's, I learned a lot while playing golf, got to talk to a lot of guys and especially, I think it's helped me out in business because a lot of these guys in the pro-ams and things like that were, you know, leaders in the industry. And so you could learn to talk to them peer to peer as opposed to just, you know, being nervous, things like that. So anyway, I went to college at SFA, got a finance degree. And so I was telling Jake, I'm not really using it or anything like that, <laughs> but played golf there, had a great time there. I'm from Houston originally and born and bred here. And I'm actually, I think the fifth generation in Houston or something like that, but it's definitely changed. <laughs> I kind of say a, uh, a theme when he talks about being a pro golfer, because my cousin was a pro golfer <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, now he runs a $60 million mineral fund. <laughs> so maybe that's a good pathway to, you know, starting your own business in oil and gas. You just become a pro golfer, become friends with all, all the people in the industry. And then that just kind of leads into. Next we're going to see Tiger get... Woods coming into oil and gas and Jordan <laughs> Spieth. And... <Yep. laughs> I'm trying to think who your cousin is, because I used to play golf with the guy who went to LSU, two of them went to LSU and they're in a mineral fund right now. Oh yeah. It's not them. Yeah. So, okay. okay. It is a mineral fund though. Yeah. You, you, should, <laughs> you, you, should, part, right? you should introduce us to those guys. Yeah, we get, we should start like this whole series of people that are pro golfers that are now in oil and gas. <laughs> <laughs> so you were sales at Insperity yep. and the Insperity salespeople are pretty brutal. They're messaging me every day trying to, trying to come in here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did you make that that transition from, you know, you're at Insperity and then 
did you did you always have it in your mind that you wanted to start your own company or did the opportunity just kind of fall in your lap where you saw a need for it and you just kind of seized it? How did you come about actually starting the company? What gave you the idea? Yeah. So, you know, after Insperity, I, I went for about a year and a half at a, at a the other search firm where I actually learned the search business. But yeah, I, I'd always had it in my mind that I was going to start my own company. I'm what you call a, a terrible employee. You know, I'm not the employee that you want. I was either going to start my own company or go broke. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it was. I mean, I've always sold something throughout, you know, my life. I mean, when you talk to my parents and things, yeah, he was always selling stuff on the side or cutting lawns or something like that. And so it it just, you know, happened that, you know, in my mind, I was like, man, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? And finally it just clicked. All right, you're just going to do it. And you just take the leap of faith. Just know that. If you hustle, if you don't quit, then, you know, you're going to succeed. And, but yeah, definitely. I always want to start my own deal. Awesome. Do you have any co-founders on this or was it just you? Oh, it's just you. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So you didn't have that support system to kind of fall back on. You just Lone Ranger out there, (laughs) Lone Wolf. (laughs) Yeah. So when I left the search firm, I did have a partner for a short stint. And it was kind of like, you know, when you partner, it's not like we had this setup. We had this company setup. It was really like two guys, you know, both commission only just going at it saying you, you know, work for the same company. And so we had that partnership for a short stint and just kind of broke off on our own. And yeah, that, but as far as the support staff, you know, we didn't have any backers, anything like that. It was just like, you know call as many people as you can, pound the pavement and try to do a really great job for your clients. And when you do that, you know, we're going to get out and we're going to get more work. So. Okay. So how does the business model behind your company or recruiting in general work? I've never worked with a recruiting firm. You know, I don't understand the business model. So can you kind of explain? Also, is there a difference between recruiting and headhunting or is it it's just interchangeable? <laughs> <laughs> no, we hunt heads. So, it, you know, it's a, it's the same thing. Okay. I mean, so if you if the, think of the three models, well, actually not three models, two models, you have staffing and you have recruiting. So staffing is putting people on a tent basis. So think, you know, only guys contractor out there, you know, you staff, you know, operators, things like that. And then you think in the office, you have the reservoir engineer, they have the, all the engineers, you have the accounting finance people. And so that would be a lot of times those are recruiting, so direct hire recruiting. So recruiting itself is, so how the business model works, I'll have a company, they need a reservoir engineer. And so we go out and, and find them a reservoir engineer, and then we place them and we get a fee. It's typically a percentage of the person's first year salary. Okay. So that's the recruiting. And now the staffing in is what we're getting into, or we're just having more and more of our clients with this gig mentality that we're seeing out there in the marketplace, more and more people want to work on contract and don't want to be tied down. And then companies, you know, they're not as loyal as they used to be. You know, you're not going to see a person out there, you know, the the 30-year gold watch guy that's going to, you know, retire at a company after 30 years. So more and more of our clients are saying, hey, can you find a contractor? We just did a regulatory contractor the other day. And so a company, they were form and flip, private equity backed, didn't want to hire somebody because, you know, some of the equity stuff and things like that. So put on a long-term contractor. And so that's the staffing business when you just have, you know, think temp, think, you know, contract. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting when you look at it like Pioneer Natural Resources just laying off, you know, 500, 600 people in the last week or not laying off, but giving voluntary retirement packages. And it's mm-hmm. these guys, you know, I've got several family members that work for Pioneer Natural Resources that have been there over 30 years. And you just, you're not going to see that anymore moving in the future. The guy working for a company for 30 years, you know, I mean, Julie's dead. My wife's Dad yeah. just retired from Halliburton after 40 years. I mean, that's mm-hmm. insane to me. Yeah. It gives to me think, anxiety. To think about, about someone working for a company for 30 to 40 years, and now you're seeing that there are these oil companies. I mean, Pioneer literally said, you know, if you're at the headquarters and you're over 62 years old, you know, you need to take a package. If you're out in the yeah. field and you're over 55 years old, mm-hmm. you need to take a package. So you're definitely going to see that kind of gig economy take over and I think that's why we're seeing you know some of these startups in the space that are kind of acting as contractor platforms are taking off even though I don't agree with their valuations or the money that they're raising I think that there is room for you know services and tech in that space because Mm -hmm. it's only going to grow as the gig economy grows I mean think about it think about like applications like Uber Airbnb you know these unicorn startups that are you know worth billions and billions of dollars that are leveraging the gig economy and we haven't really seen anything in oil and gas that leverages the gig economy i mean you're starting to see it i guess probably in the last five years with contractors Uh out in the field but i think that you're going to start to see a lot more contractors like your reservoir engineers your geologists etc maybe you have some insight to how you see that trending yeah no i appreciate you asking i mean i so we we started this a little bit of a model it goes into our contracting model and we're calling it re- retiree restaffing. So you'll see the guys at Pioneer, you know, great example, and that just happened what this week. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing guys like that that you know still. So you take it of a retiree, all right? They they retire and it's supposed to be all you know warm and fuzzy. All right, go get a mai tai on a beach and just play golf every single day, right? Well. That's that's not necessarily what happens. I mean, I talked to a bunch of retirees and they are just they retire and then it's not fulfilling for them. And so they're like, man, I've been working for 40 years. Now I got to stay home all day. And it's like, man, there's honeydews to do now. I So a lot of these guys want to go back to work. And so they have just an enormous amount of experience and they can play mentor to some of the the younger folks in a company. And so that gig mentality where, you know, there is hesitancy to hire these people full time, you know, direct, they can hire on an hourly basis and just, you know, capitalize on a lot of that experience. And so we're seeing a lot of that and we're doing a lot of that. So, you know, the reason I started the contracting piece, not only it was easier to, you know, predict cash flow. So you have cash flow coming in every every single month, but not only that, the gig mentality, I had to create this infrastructure because I knew that baby boomers were going to be retiring, whether they were forced retirement like Pioneer here or, you know, retirees just coming to me saying, hey, or companies coming to me saying, hey, can you put a 40 year guy in here? We need somebody to mentor our less experienced staff. And so I uh, created this infrastructure. There's a lot of back end stuff that you have to do from a, you know, I, I've got to pay all their payroll taxes. I've got to offer them benefits. I've got to uh, all the workers comp, all the liability insurance that goes into it. I mean, one of these retirees can't just go work at Exxon tomorrow. You know, he's got to have, you know, $10 million worth of coverage. He's got to, I mean, there's certain stuff that you have to have in the back end that allows these guys to go in and to work even as a contractor. So 
Anyway, we see this coming. We see this trend coming. So I had to create the infrastructure from a back end. And so that's what we did. Not only, you know, and the younger contractors that are, you know, the millennials, things like that, that are going to do this gig economy, but more so the baby boomers, you know, two thirds of the, you know, or one, excuse me, a third of the industry is just gone overnight from a retirement standpoint. They're going to be coming back. I was been thinking about this a lot with the whole deal with Pioneer and, you know, some people, especially on LinkedIn, you know, you'll see some old sore heads that'll come on my post talking shit, saying, you know, that, you know, I'm just a millennial that has no respect for the older generation. And it couldn't be further from the truth. It's a mm-hmm. serious problem when we lose such a huge chunk of knowledge and wisdom from the older generation. Because I'm, I'm about to take a stab at new graduates here, but you have a new petroleum engineer that comes out of school. You don't know shit. You don't know anything. And the problem is, is that they're getting catered to by these EMPs. You know, they're getting a nice six-figure salary and the industry isn't going to be able to be sufficient like that. We're going to need the mentorship, like you were saying, mm-hmm. from the older generation that has the 30, 40 years of downhole experience, reservoir experience, geology experience. But how do these companies transition from that and off of a gig you know, contractor basis that could be a really good way to kind of bridge that gap where you have your younger generation that's actually employed or on a long-term contract. And then you have your, your mentors or older generation that's there to kind of hold their hand. And, but then you run into the issues of the older generations. Like, well, I don't want to teach these, these young kids how to do my job. I'm just putting myself out of work, which, you know, I've, I've heard that my last five, 10 years in the business and, and we've seen that happen. So there's a lot of different uh, cultural variables that go into the I mean, It's always going to be an issue though. I mean, there's always, we're going to get old one day and we're going to be getting out of the business. You know, it's like, it's not like this is the only time in history that this is happening. <laughs> this has been happening the last hundred years and will continue for the next hundred years. And so the question is, how do you really, how do you address that? You know, and how do you evolve and not die? It's funny how, <laughs> you know, we always talk shit about like old white guys and oil and gas. We're going to hold back the culture. And I'm like, God damn, man, someday I'm going to be the old white guy. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> well, well, you see these guys and, you know, I have a, a ton of respect for these guys. I see them on LinkedIn. They reach out to us all the time and say, Hey, can you find me a job? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, this, and, and it's this notion that nobody wants to hire me because I'm old, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that's a crutch. A lot of guys, you know, use that as a crutch. You know, everybody wants a 10 to 12 year reservoir engineer, but they don't want to take a 40 year guy because I'm old. And, you know, I, I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, I think, you know, guys just have to go in and add value to a company. If you add value, then there's always going to be a market for you. And so we had a bunch of these guys reaching out to us all the time. And basically, I if I didn't have something for them right there, they would just sit on the back burner and mm-hmm. they, they would just kind of wait. And so I actually created a, a training program for them to help them market themselves out to the marketplace to different companies, how to find companies, how to talk to people, how to send them emails and stuff like that, just to help them. Because, you know, quite frankly, I just hadn't, didn't have the time. I was spending so much time with these guys and all I would hear was, Hey, nobody's going to hire me because I'm old. So that's not the case. If you add value, there's always going to be a place for you. And now more than ever, we need mentorship. Like you said, the college grad that thinks he knows everything, but he doesn't really know everything. Mm -hmm. So It's kind of a victim mentality with some of the older generation, which is really surprising coming from, 
you know, our line of work where oil field is usually full of, you know, kind of, you know, tough people. Mm-hmm. But I hear all the time too. I mean, even people within my family, like who's going to hire me at my age? I'm like, just mm-hmm. Christ, shut the hell up. <laughs> and like, if you go out there and provide value and you take action, age and experience and wisdom is an edge over someone like me that doesn't have that if you play it the right angle. And so I hate when I hear I hear it all the time. I see it all the time on LinkedIn. No one's going to hire me at my age. I'm 55. I'm 60. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you got 30 good, whole, you got a you whole got lot 30, of life left. Yeah, 30 you. good years left in you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially your money's probably right. You're better in a better spot than a lot of the people you're going up against. So you could even take a pay cut to make yourself more marketable. Yep. Get yourself in the door with a company. Prove yourself. And then, you know, you can, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, it's basically you're their guy now just because you were willing to take a little bit of a cut and go in the door and say, yeah, I can actually do this. I'm going to be a stud. Do you think that's a problem with older generations that, you know, maybe have gone through layoffs is that they're prideful and they don't want to take a pay cut? And is that something that you see or most people willing to take a pay cut and kind of go with a strategy like that? I think it's a, I mean, I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I I think more of them need to take that strategy of be willing to take a pay cut to get yourself in the door. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have to take a pay cut for long, but if you come to me and a company is looking for maybe a an eight-year person, they have the budget for an eight-year person, but you're a 35-year guy and you're going to be you know 1500 a day or 200 an hour, and the eight-year guy may be you know, 70 an hour, maybe you think about, all right, well, what if I charge a hundred an hour and just get my foot in the door? So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, I think it is a, it is an issue. I don't know if it's a pride issue, but it's definitely an issue on, it could be pride. I I just think the guys just don't want to stomach it. Yeah. Like, man, I was making so much and now I just got laid off. I've got this year severance. Mm -hmm. And so that's a crutch too. You know, when they put a year severance on them, they just stay out of work. And then, you know, the company, the next company is like, hey, what the hell have you been doing the last year? So, I mean, uh, and you have to explain that. Just chilling at the house, yeah. man, <laughs> playing video games. <laughs> so, so let me so let me play devil's advocate a little bit. So we know that the older generation, for the most part, I'm not going to use a blanket statement, but a lot of them have a lot of knowledge and they can provide a lot of value. But if we're looking to hire, I think my number one concern is not going to be about that. I feel like that's a given. It's the cultural fit and how are they going to mesh with the younger generation? Mm-hmm. You know, and so what have, what have you seen? Cause that's obviously a concern for us. And then obviously everybody who sits where you're at now, we also have this conversation with them as well. You know, we know companies who have gone through and essentially have a gauntlet to where, well, you know, like a dozen people have to sign off on somebody before they're part of the team. It doesn't mean old people don't get in, but mm-hmm. they have made it clear that it needs to be a cultural fit. Think, think about like, when I make a post on LinkedIn talking about how to use LinkedIn and content marketing to market yourself to get a job. Yeah. I've literally made posts about that targeting older generations that have been laid off. And some of the comments I get on there are extremely negative comments. Like I'm trying to help people market themselves and I get negative comments saying, you know, Oh, you know, you're young, you don't know what you're talking about. I think this it's, is, you know, I think the understanding where they're most likely coming, because most of the negative comments, it's like in the headline, it's like seeking new positions or open for new opportunities and stuff. And like, they've probably been beating themselves against the wall, you know, for the last year looking for a job and they're just sour and, 
you know, then you come on there and speak some positivity of like, Hey, here's how you could probably do this a little bit better. Yeah. I remember you know? one, I remember one post for instance, where I was talking about, you know, putting out content, like, you know, write some, write some blog posts, showcasing your knowledge, show people what you know. I think that's a great way to get marketing exposure. And I remember some guy coming on telling me that he wouldn't, essentially he wasn't going to listen to that advice. He was going to keep blasting out his resume. And I was like, well, you've been looking for a job for a year and that, that strategy hasn't worked for you. So you have to find, you know, new creative ways to market yourself and then be a cultural fit, you know, within these companies. There's nothing better when you get that 60 year old guy who's got 30 years of oil and gas experience, but's a forward thinker and is willing to come in. I mean, those are like, those are unicorns, dude. You guys are running companies. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) they've already run three, four companies and they're just, you know, yeah, uh, they can sit on their ass as long as they want. But to answer your question, yeah, I see that a lot, especially with, I mean, working with private equity groups, typically a lot of these teams are younger. And that's their biggest question is, hey, you know, when we go hire somebody, it's more about a culture fit. You know, I I almost think of myself and our company as matchmakers and, you know, match.com for oil and gas people. (laughs) You should make a Tinder app for oil. (laughs) (laughs) Swipe rights. (laughs) So it's similar. I mean, I I almost feel like we're more matchmaker than, you know, trying to find if somebody's a technical fit or not. You know, you, you seek out the reservoir engineer. I mean... Is it more important for this guy to be technical, you know, technically savvy, or is it more is it more important for the person to be a culture fit? I think that you can take a mediocre, you know, re- not mediocre. Let's call him B plus reservoir engineer, but the guy is just such a culture fit, and you know, just an awesome guy to be around. And that guy will outperform the A plus guy a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And so, but yeah, I mean, you take a guy and, uh, you know, the cultures aren't aligned and their biggest fear. So when I'm talking to a new client, private equity back, their biggest fear is that if you bring somebody in and they don't work out, then man, we got to fire this guy. It's going to take toll on the entire culture around, you know, our team. And so we're going to be, you know, screwed for two weeks right there with, man, this just didn't work out. Everybody's going to be depressed. We got to find another guy. That's going to be a six, eight week process if we're lucky. And then, you know, now I got cold feet and I don't want to just hire another guy. So it's like, hey, do we, you know, hire a contractor just to kind of stop the bleeding here? Or, you know, maybe the CEO is a reservoir engineer. Now the CEO is like, well, I'll just take care of some of that stuff, you know, and, you know, now he's not, you know, looking at evaluations, not looking at acquisitions. So that takes time on the entire thing. There's a, it goes full circle. And so that's why you see a lot of these guys just hire who they know. They may not be the best person for the job, but they've worked with them before and they know they're not going to screw up the culture. And so, you know, they're, they're open to doing that more than they will just, you know, hiring a recruiting firm like us to go find them, you know, people. So I agree with you a thousand percent on that. I would rather have a B plus player that's a hundred percent cultural fit than the other way around. And I really had that. As long as they're B plus at whatever they're doing, say it was geology is, is say I'm a C at geology and they're B plus. (laughs) As long as they're better than me at their job. Yeah, they they can teach you something. Yeah, yeah. that's the, that's the only thing. But I think about like, you know, ever since I've read some of Jocko's books, like Dichotomy of Leadership, and I really look at teams operating in the essence of like Navy SEALs and say you have a small, you know, four or five man squad you can have the best technical guys, but if you're not operating as one, it doesn't mean shit. Yep. So cultural fit 
to me takes priority over everything because you have to be able to move as a unit and execute. And as long as you're moving swiftly together, you're fine. But if you just have a team of A-plus players that don't mesh together, then you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, you, you can't have those Mavericks. You can't have those guys that are coming in and you know wanting to play cowboy and do their own thing and not really mesh well with a team, especially yeah. in, in today's business world. Communication's everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you've got somebody who's off kind of just doing their own thing or as we would say in the Marine Corps, OFP, you know, your own fucking program, <laughs> it just doesn't work. You know, you've got to operate as a unit. Yeah. So what are some of the uh, challenges that you've seen in this space as you're growing this company? Is there anything that sticks out to you in particular? Well, you know, the thing that kind of sticks out is kind of what we just talked about. You know, in the private equity game, they pretty much just hire who they know. And so we... So typically how we get a deal is we will, you know, get introduced by the the guys at the board level, which, you know, the firm level, and they may have, they may be looking to back a team and they may be missing a geologist or missing a land guy or missing a reservoir engineer. So we'll fix that spot. And then those guys, they may, they may know one or two guys below that. And then, so like pre-asset, they're set, you know, mm-hmm. there's like one or two searches that we may have, but when they acquire something, then, you know, that next level, maybe they know a third of the people they need to hire and then we get. So I think the lag time between like a backing a new team and when they get an asset, you know, we kind of have to wait, wait that cycle out until we get our shot and, you know, can go in. We then that's why we got into services too. you know, midstream is a little bit more people heavy than EMP. EMP. I mean, those guys run lean all day long when I mean, you have to. And but midstream. There's more hiring, but now services, I mean, services is very people heavy. And so that's why, I mean, and as far as growing the company, that's what's kept us back a little bit is that we're just focused on EMP. And if people didn't have a hiring, it didn't matter what kind of stud that we were able to bring them. If they weren't hiring, they weren't hiring. Whereas services on the, you know, if you find a really stud sales guy, you know, I'm hiring. Like, you know, I'm always hiring. I mean, I'm trying to hire you guys right now. Like, you know, yeah. it's just the thing. Like, you always have to be forward looking and, hey, if this guy can do the job and he can grow my company, then I'm going to bring him on. And mm-hmm. EMP can't just, you can't do that. So, but yeah, that's, that's what's held us back. And, and getting in the door, I think, is hard as well. You know, how we typically get in the door is, is being referred or by a client or somebody that's worked with us. It's all about relationships. And so we find that, if we can get, just get in the door and we can talk to the people, then it's it's off of the races and people love working with us. But it's that initial just getting a chance to work with them and prove ourselves is the thing. You just have to, in this business, I mean, we're kind of the new kids on the block in this space. I mean, there's a bunch of recruiting firms out there that have been doing it 30 years. That's our tagline. Mm-hmm. We've been in business for 30 years. You know, that's their value prop. And so, no, I mean, we haven't been in business for you know, 30 years, we've been in business for three and a half, but I will tell you, we hustle harder than anyone. And you'll find that out if you work with us. And so that's what we've really been portraying out in the market. So now we've got some branding stuff this year uh, that we're doing. I've, I've made a significant investment in the platform on LinkedIn. And I think, you know, if, if you aren't doing that in the next three to five years, you're going to be getting left behind. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to really grow our follower base from that platform alone, just the, the targeting and stuff like that, that you can do on that platform. And I think we're going to see a, a big uptick in the next few years with our company. Yep. So what do you say? I think probably the, 
I would imagine that the number one kind of objection to using, you know, a recruiting type service would be oh, like, why, why, why do I need you guys? We can do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so like, what do you, like, what do you usually say to that? I mean, we know that finding the right people is extremely hard. And there's been times where we were just like, <laughs> we're just like, we're just going to shelve this idea until the mm-hmm. right person comes along. Cause we just do not have the right person. And we went through a whole lot of people who just did not work and it's exhausting. Right. Yep. So what do you say to those, the naysayers? Yeah, I think, you know, it just, it, it gives you opportunities to choose. You know, if, yeah. if you can do it on your own, I mean, a lot of guys say, well, no, we've got, we've got the search on our own, no problem. Or we know a guy, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing is a company doesn't want to get through a search and, and something comes down the line and they know a guy and they ha- still have to pay a search fee. And so that's not how we operate. We operate in a contingent fashion. We do some retained work, things like that. But to the naysayers, I would say, you know, it gives you the opportunity to see the entire market. You know, maybe you're missing out on somebody that's really great just because you're focusing on one person. Like, you know, a company will put an ad on LinkedIn and I've put, uh, I've spent money on those platforms before. And I don't know if you guys have, but man, you get a thousand resumes and you may have one that's decent and half the resumes aren't like I posted a reservoir engineering (laughs) ad one time and I got like a a school teacher, a school math teacher <laughs> as something like that. And so it, it sounds funny. I mean, we're laughing about it, but it's really, it's a, it's a big deal and it takes a lot of time. You know what I mean? How much time you have to take to sift through resumes. And so, you know, we tried to, we tried to work with our clients the best possible way. Like maybe, you know, there's a hybrid relationship where we can go in and take some of that brunt off them. Or maybe, you know, through our LinkedIn targeting, we can, you know, put some promoted posts out there for them. If they're, you know, fee, if they don't necessarily want to pay the big search fee and has us do it, we can, you know, float an ad out there and promote it from LinkedIn and target who they want to target and see if we get candidates that way. Maybe it costs them four or $5,000 as opposed to $30,000. So I, I think just being open to a recruiting firm, not necessarily just the search fee as a, you know, or the search business as a whole, but I think just being open to talking someone, talking to someone like us that see it every day and just coming up with a solution that best works for your business. A lot of people say, well, no, I'm not going to talk to a recruiting firm because they do one thing. Whereas if you talk to any of my clients, they look at us or look at me and look at our firm as an advisory firm more than anything from a Mm -hmm. people advisory standpoint. And I think there's so many recruiting firms because the barrier to entry is so low. There's so many recruiting firms that just throw you a bunch of shit and just hope something sticks so they can make a fee. And that's not us. I mean, we really know the business and we want to match up the best people with the best companies. So uh, I think just being open. I can attest to your point on LinkedIn. We tried finding some candidates on LinkedIn. You know, we didn't, use a ton of ad spend, but a few hundred dollars and, you know, probably got a hundred resumes and it's overwhelming for me. Like, you know, having all those resumes, which I'm trying to read all of them. Yeah. It's like, how the hell am I supposed to go all th- through all these? And then, like you said, a lot of them weren't qualified or even in the same realm of what we were looking for. And I was wondering how LinkedIn even came up with, you know, displaying my advertisement to them. So just the, the cost, not just from a monetary standpoint in terms of ad spend that I spent, but the time lost that I spent going through that process. Was I also hate thing. that process too, because I just feel like resumes are not indicative of somebody's potential, you know, until you really get to know mm-hmm. them as well. I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so many people are just not shit on paper. 
You know, yeah. then you meet them and you're like, oh my God, you're like you're entrepreneurial minded, you're resourceful, you're a fast learner, like you can do anything that I throw at you. Or the people that, you know, bolster up their resumes. Yeah, just there's like those with a bunch too. of garbage. Yeah. It's like that meme where you put on your resume that you're proficient in Excel and then they ask you to do something in Excel and you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Somebody needs to come in and like disrupt the whole resume model. Like, I don't know what that looks like, but we just need to throw resumes out the fucking window and create something completely and entirely new. Look, I started creating a pitch deck for myself the other day and I'm going to post it on LinkedIn. I'm like, look, <laughs> I was looking for a job. This is how I'd be. I'd be sending a five slide pitch deck on myself, not a resume. It sticks out. <laughs> so in, in this little training program I created, they, so one of the things that I really like and, and that I encourage people to do is create a personal marketing video. So I teach them how to upload it to YouTube and how to, how to make the personal marketing video. But if somebody can see you on video, it's, it's so much better than just having your resume. Cause like you said, I mean, your resume, I mean, you could be a year here, jump eight months here, jump six months here, jump maybe a year and a half here, you know, that worked out okay. And then jump, but you could be a really awesome guy, entrepreneurial, maybe great for one of these private equity startups. But, you know, nobody knows that because they won't even they won't even take your paper. I mean, they'll look at your paper. Nope. Throw it out the side. Or if they have a recruiter in there, an in-house recruiter that doesn't know what they're looking at, you know, that maybe didn't come from the oil and gas business, maybe just a sales recruiter now just, you know, right out of college, doesn't know what she's looking at or he's looking at and they throw it out. I think creating that personal marketing video, just telling your story in like 30 seconds to a minute is huge. And so I've tried to teach people how to do that and just and just how to differentiate themselves from all their competition because that's what they have to do. If they don't differentiate themselves, they're not going to get an opportunity to even get in the door. I think uh, these companies. Yeah, and like so many resumes are never even seen because they go through the computer filters and stuff, so it never even lands on somebody's desk. Yeah. It's you know, just, and so like that falls right in line with what I was saying about content marketing mm -hmm. earlier. You yeah. create a piece of content to stand out. Most people won't get on video, and it doesn't take any effort to make a video. Everyone's iPhones, droids make very good, high-quality videos. Whip it out of your pocket. Take a 30-second, one-minute video just telling your story. I think some, and, people, some people just don't have the confidence, and they feel like, oh, people are going to make fun of me because I'm on video. Yep. Or I'd, what am I going to say, and am I going to look stupid? Hey, man, you got to be willing to be authentic, be vulnerable, <laughs> whip out the camera. You know, I think there's two things. If you're looking for a job, there's two things you should be doing. And that is really your full-time job. And it's creating content, right? And it's networking. You should be going mm -hmm. to every single networking event in oil and gas at least three times a week. Mm -hmm. yep. Make the time. Yep. You know, that's, that's and obviously applying the jobs too, yep. but I, shaking as many hands as possible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on that. You don't even have to go to the networking events. LinkedIn, and I, I used 100% of my networking used to be outbound. Think about how you and I met, Jake. I sent yeah. you a message three and a half, four years ago, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. I was sitting at my house in my underwear on my couch, probably eating ice cream. It's on LinkedIn, <laughs> sending out messages. Probably eating baby spinach. I probably have, on LinkedIn, I probably have a 95% success rate. Anyone that I message out to, they get on a phone call, get coffee, lunch with, I have a 95% acceptance rate on that offer. And people... Don't take advantage of that. I mean, I think right. LinkedIn is one of the most underutilized tools. And I, I think, you know, you were spot, spot on with the video. Like you have to do something to stick out today's market. And so people can just get that through their head. The reality is it's still a good old boy network. Yeah. Like even with the older generation getting out, it like things have not changed in the industry. So it really is all about who you know. Mm -hmm. 
whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but that's just the reality of the industry. Well, word gets around too. I mean, if you, people talk about burning their bridges and it's a real deal. I mean, especially with some of these small companies, I mean, you, you take a guy that I think is a stud and I think nine out of 10 people would think this guy is a stud, but he pissed somebody off a long time ago. And now, you know, this person calls this person and they used to say, yeah, he's okay. You know, and that's not the case at all. He just happened to piss somebody off, you know, years ago. Yeah. So uh, that word, go- word does get around really fast. In this <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, a lot of guys are blasting resumes. That's, you know, that's the old way of doing it. I mean, I know a guy that he spent three, he was with an ENC company. So he was a, a process engineer, ENC company. And he spent three, three and a half years or actually three years to the day out of work just because he didn't have these strategies to go network, things like that. Resume. Resume. We talk about resumes and you have to differentiate yourself, but you have to have a professional resume. And so I was going to do this to everybody that listens. If they want to email us, we have a professional resume template. We give away for free. It's kind of our you know, tripwire when we you know, do a marketing campaign, things like that. But basically, this is a professional resume. A lot of people try to do these word templates. It's like, it looks like garbage. You've seen these things, right? And anyway, this one, it basically took all the great resumes out there that you see and formulated it to one thing. And so you just basically plug and play. So it's a Word doc. They can download it. I'll send it to anybody you know who listens to this thing. But it really, you have. To, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how good your content is. If you have a crappy resume put you know put together horribly, you're not going to get past the desk. What What can you do? Okay, let's just say it makes it to the desk. Mm-hmm. What can you do on the resume? to make it stand out. I mean, obviously you talked about format. I think that being aesthetically pleasing is important. I've seen some people put little like circles of their picture on there. Mm-hmm. What, what works, what doesn't work? Well, I think, you know, going back to the personal marketing video, I think people really have to create something like that. And, yeah. you know, to y'all's point, look, a lot of guys don't want to create this stuff. They're afraid. I have a guy that is in the program or he joined the program and he basically came in and he didn't want to do the marketing video. And I said, you got to do the marketing video. This guy's been out of work for eight months and he, you know, he's a great guy. He's an executive of the company or he was a VP of ops of the company. And once he did that personal marketing video, he did it twice. So he did it the first time. It was like five minutes long. You know, he's an engineer. So he does it's like five minutes long. He was talking about all his accomplishments. I'm like, Hey, you have to cut this down, make it under a minute. And once he did that, he sent it back to him. I'm like, there it is. Bam. And this is a guy that if I hadn't recommended that, I mean, he, he would have never done anything like that. So that's the first thing. I think that's the most important thing you can do now is create a personal marketing video. Put that link on YouTube or from YouTube. And so put it on the resume. But going a step further, any company you send a resume, you have to seek out who that hiring manager is. So it's easy to do. I mean, you're on LinkedIn and the strategy to do it is not hard. So if you're a reservoir engineer, Look at the reservoir manager or the VP of reservoir engineering or hell, go to the CEO. It doesn't matter. But once you submit your resume, you have to go and follow up with a phone call. And people are hesitant about doing that, too. They don't want to get on the phone because they don't like rejection. Right. And so if they call and the receptionist goes, what is this regarding? They're just like, oh, and they hang up. Like, that's the worst thing. I hear that so many times is, you know, starting our company, too, is, hey, what is this regarding if you're trying to reach out to the CEO? And if you're just honest and say, look, I just submitted my resume, 
and wanted to follow up with the CEO or whoever, tell them I sent it. Well, you know, that that's going to go to HR or something like that's what they might hear. And so that would just turn somebody off if they heard that the first time and they have 20 companies they want to send after that turns them off that first time, they're not going to do the next 19. So I think just going, you know, create the personal marketing video. And then after that, you really need to follow up all the time. And we have follow-up strategies, things like that. But man, it's like day one, day three. I mean, you will, if you're proactive like that, a company is going to at least bring you in the door to find out who this guy's all about. I mean, if you're just submitting your resume and sitting back and hoping, then, you know, it's not going to work. And recruiting firms are not working for you. Like they're working for the client. And so if you call a bunch of recruiting firms, say, hey, can you help me find a job? Well, they Mm -hmm. don't have the time to be able to spend, you know, now if we have that 1% candidate that comes to us and you know, we're going to have 10 offers for this person, you know, if I call 10 companies, then that's a different story. But if you have a resume where, you know, it's not absolutely, you know, perfect and, you know, you don't have the best of references, you really have to do something to differentiate yourself. So yeah, that's what I would do. Personal marketing video, that is key. That's number one in addition to, you know, having a professional looking resume. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So before we wrap this up, people want to find you. Yeah. People want your resume builder, which I think everybody that's listening to this that's in the job market should go and download. Where can they find that? What's y'all's website? And what's your LinkedIn? Absolutely. So Hazeltine Advisors, you can find us on LinkedIn. Actually, we just changed, we just dropped the advisors and we're Hazeltine now, but because we're, we've got a, a couple different things to go to market with. But so go to Hazeltine, find us on LinkedIn, follow us on LinkedIn. If you want the resume template, go to careers at hazeltineadvisors.com. So careers at hazeltineadvisors.com and H-A-Z-E-L-T-I-N-E advisors.com. And just email us there and we'll send you back the resume template. And then also, if any of you guys were active on LinkedIn, want to connect with me on LinkedIn, just Chad Spencer on LinkedIn and our website, TazeltineAdvisors.com. So awesome, man. Yeah, that's great, man. Thank yep. you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Guys, if you want that resume builder, go check out their website. We'll drop it in the show notes. That way you can have easy access to it. Highly recommend it. Chad's a good guy. I think this is going to be extremely valuable for some people that are in the market right now. Yeah, we, jobs, we, get, so. we get a ton of questions all the time about, you know, what can I do? I'm in the job market. Or yeah, it's a lot of actually new grads and it's a bunch of the older generation. So I think this can be really impactful. So yeah. thanks for your insights and share it with the listeners. Yep. Love to have you on again one day. So if you guys enjoyed the show, please take two seconds to leave us a rating review. Like we said, we're super grateful and thankful for you guys listening. You make all of this possible. You know, we're, we're super excited to keep doing it. We've got a lot of really great things planned. So we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Come, 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 come.